As we move toward the conclusion of our reflection on Van Til's doctrine of the person and work of Christ, redemptive history, and hermeneutics, I want to make a kind of postscript observation, much more brief and less technical than what we've covered up to this point, from my credo. Uh, something that Van Til wrote on the occasion of the festschrift given to him, Jerusalem and Athens, which is a beautifully simple and basic confession of the self-attesting and self-interpreting Christ of Scripture. It lays bare the faith of a simple child who trusted in the Lord and who served him in steadfastness all the days of his life. It gives us a sense of Ventil's understanding of the Christ-centered hermeneutic employed by Jesus to be followed by his disciples. He says, beginning that uh, document, the self-attesting Christ of Scripture has always been my starting point for everything that I've said. What this implies for various problems will appear more clearly, I hope, as I go along. And so he begins in my credo by speaking of the critique that the Pharisees made of Jesus' claims to be God in the flesh and to be the central redemptive subject matter and consummative telos of the Old Testament scriptures. Those two claims were joined in Jesus' proclamation. He said, I am God in the flesh. I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. He says this, quote, Allow me in this section to illustrate what I mean by recalling the incident of Jesus' healing of the man who had the palsy. When Jesus said to the man, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee, certain of the scribes reasoned in their hearts, Why does this man speak such blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Over and over the Jews charged Jesus with blasphemy for it, they nailed him to the cross. He then makes this comment on which I want to expand for some time. Quote, It is in the face of this Pharisaic opposition that Jesus' assertion of his identity as Son of God and Son of Man stands out in its significance. Every fact in dispute between the Pharisees and Jesus involved the ultimate claim that Jesus was the Son of God and, as such, the promised Messiah. Jesus told the Pharisees, in effect, they had twisted beyond recognition the meaning of every word of the Old Testament. See, in this statement, end of quote, in this statement, Ventil pinpoints the heart of the controversy between the Pharisees and Jesus, and by extension, the controversy between every religion and every philosophy opposed to Jesus. Jesus claimed he was the Son of God and the Son of Man. Jesus claimed that the Old Testament scriptures were about his suffering and glory. And Jesus claimed that any reading of the scriptures that denies this is twisted beyond recognition. That is the militancy 
of Jesus' own reading of the scriptures about himself. And that is what Van Til centers. This is a central, maybe not often recognized, hermeneutical statement that Van Til makes. Van Til continues. He says this, It was natural, therefore, that they should think of Jesus as a blasphemer. Not that the idea of blasphemy could have any meaning on their own view of things. If Jesus claimed to be the promised Messiah, the Son of God, were true, then they, the Pharisees, were reactionaries, revolutionaries, and apostates. They were intellectually, morally, and spiritually wrong in everything they said and did. Could they admit that Jesus was right when he said that they were of their father, the devil? Could Jesus be right when he said that though they were lineal descendants of Abraham, yet spiritually Abraham was not their father at all? Could Jesus be right when he said, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you? John 5, 42. Van Til continues, as a Christian, I believe first of all in the testimony that Jesus gave of himself and his work. He says he was sent into the world to save his people from their sins. Jesus asked me to do what he asked the Pharisees to do. Namely, listen, read the scriptures in light of his testimony about himself. End quote. Van Til's doctrine of Jesus as the self-attesting Christ of Scripture involves a related claim that Jesus is the self-interpreting Christ of Scripture. If you want to understand that little phrase, you have to join the self-attesting and the self-interpreting Christ of Scripture. Van Til says, everything in my hermeneutic depends on joining those together. Jesus not only attested to his identity as the eternal Son of God with absolute authority, but he interpreted himself as the Messiah in light of the Old Testament with absolute authority. He is self-attesting and self-interpreting. The notion of self-attestation and self-interpretation flow directly from Van Til's Trinitarian theology. Each Trinitarian person is not sustained in his essence by another Trinitarian person. Each Trinitarian person is ase, simple, immutable, eternal, equal in power and glory. You can see chapter 5 from the Trinitarian theology of Cornelius Van Til for more on that. The Autothean son is the self-attesting son. The autothean son is the self-interpreting son. Jesus identified himself and interpreted himself as the Son of God made incarnate, whose suffering and glory is the central redemptive subject matter and consummative telos of the Old Testament scriptures, and for that the Pharisees sought to stone him. It is for this central reason, then, that I want to expand a bit from the scriptures on Van Til's claim that Jesus himself claimed not only to be the Son of God and the Messiah, but that all of the scriptures, contrary to the hermeneutic of the Pharisees, was about his suffering and his glory. Van Til insists in my credo that our view of the Old Testament scriptures, please hear this, must be in accord with Jesus' view 
of the Old Testament scriptures. That is what the Lordship of Jesus entails for us as readers of scripture. How did he view the Old Testament scriptures in relation to himself? What was his testimony, his interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures? In John 5, 39 through 40, he spoke directly to the Pharisees about how the Old Testament relates to himself. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You see, the scriptures here are unambiguously the Old Testament scriptures. The Pharisees read and studied the scriptures. They were experts in the scriptures. They thought in them they had found eternal life. But Jesus rebukes them, listen, at the most basic conceivable hermeneutical level, he says, those scriptures bear witness about me. The eternal, pre-existent, incarnate Son of God stood before the Pharisees and corrected their interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures at the nuclear level. The scriptures taken as a whole bear witness of me. He doesn't say a portion of the law. He doesn't give a specific proof text. He does not talk about certain portions of the Psalms. He instead says that the whole of the Old Testament scriptures are about me. With what end in view? That you might come to me and have life. Yet the Pharisees refuse to come to Jesus. You see, the only way that you can have life as you read the Old Testament scriptures is if you are trusting in and leaning on and learning from Jesus. He says, when you read the scriptures, you must come to me and only in me do you find eternal life. More specifically, in John 5, 46, he says, if you, to the Pharisees, believed in Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote of me. Now, please hear this. The incarnate Son of God standing on this earth says directly and unambiguously to the Pharisees that Moses wrote of me. Not in this or that verse, but that the sum total of Moses' corpus is about me in its central focus, in its most basic concern, in its central redemptive subject matter, in its prophetic expectation. It is about me, my kingdom, my suffering, and my glory. John 8, 56, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Here Jesus says that Abraham not only rejoiced that he would see Jesus' day, but he saw it and rejoiced in it. Christ's day, his suffering and glory were revealed to Abraham in promises, types, and shadows such that he not only saw but greeted in joy the Savior made known to him, whose merits were applied to him. In John 12, 37 through 31, Jesus says about Isaiah the prophet, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. 
so that the word uh, spread about the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And here it is. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah 40, uh, Isaiah said, verse 40 now, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things, verse 41, because he saw his glory and spoke of him. The law, the prophets, Moses, Isaiah, Abraham, wrote of Jesus, spoke of Jesus, testified to Jesus, saw his day and were glad. The Holy Spirit, through the prophetic scriptures of the Old Testament, revealed the coming of Jesus and applied the benefits of Jesus to all that were joined to him through sovereignly gifted, spirit-wrought faith. The net effect of this material from John is that the Old Testament scriptures are about Jesus. All of these instances confirm this. This is what Jesus said to Pharisees and those who listened before his resurrection and ascension. But what about after his resurrection? In Luke 24, 25 through 27, Jesus said to his disciples now, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Look at the end of verse 27. Do you know that your Bible tells you that Jesus himself interprets to his disciples in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus as Savior fulfills the scriptures of the Old Testament for his people. Jesus as Lord interprets the scriptures of the Old Testament for his people. And his interpretation is that he fulfills all that is written of him for the sake of his church. You can rest in Jesus' interpretation. You need not be anxious. You need not be confused. You need not be fearful. Jesus tells you by his own infallible interpretation that he himself is the fulfillment of all that was written about him. He's the center and the substance. He's the telos and the end. He is the one of whom Abraham, Moses, and Isaiah bear witness. He told his disciples this after his resurrection. And those words were committed to Scripture so that you can hear the voice of your Savior by His Spirit speaking in the Scriptures. Second, Jesus interprets the glory, uh, the Old Testament, in terms of the necessity of His suffering and His entering into glory. The suffering and glory of the Messiah is at the heart of the biblical witness. And beginning with Moses is key. The suffering and subsequent glory of the Messiah is foundational. Jesus would no doubt begin with Moses 
and would draw his disciples' minds back to the suffering that was required of Adam in the Garden of Eden and his failure to enter into the glory of heaven through perfect covenantal obedience. Adam was called to suffer in conflict with the serpent, to destroy him on the mountain of God, in the garden of God. Adam was called to crush him under his foot in whole-souled, perfect fidelity to God as an act of worship and consecration. But he sinned against God, brought guilt, corruption, and sin to himself upon his people, and was expelled from the heavenly mountain. Surely Jesus would tell them that before their first parents were banished from the Eden mountain, God made a threefold promise about a seed who would come from the woman. He would bruise the serpent's head, Genesis 3.15. He would cover his people in sacrificial garments, atone for sin, and confer upon them his image, Genesis 3.21. He would pass under the flaming sword of judgment at the base of the Eden mountain, and as he passed under it, rise up from death to eat from the tree of life and bring his people to that mountain glory. In fact, it is precisely how Luke presents the beginning of Jesus in Luke 4, 1 through 13. He comes as a second and last Adam. He comes into the wilderness, rises to a mountain, ascends to a temple, and at the end of his earthly ministry tells the thief beside him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Passing under the flaming sword of divine judgment on the cross, Jesus would ascend with his people to the mountain of God. Surely, Jesus would tell his disciples that they are helpless and hopeless without him. Surely, he would tell them that his resurrection is the public and climactic assurance of victory. Surely, Jesus would tell them that the exodus out of Egypt was a prophetic expression in miniature of his exodus out of Jerusalem. Surely he would remind them on the Mount of Transfiguration this was a prophetic token of his resurrection from the dead. Surely he would tell his people that as he suffered and as he rose, as he was humiliated and as he was exalted, he was blazing the path to heaven as the inaugurator of a new age, a new creation, a passage from earth to heaven in his person and work, in his suffering and glory. Beginning with Moses, Jesus would open the eyes of his disciples to see in him the fullness of the redemption promised and brought to climax. And it's important to note something that should encourage you who are in Christ. Jesus rebukes those who do not see him clearly portrayed in the scriptures of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ rebukes them. The Old Testament scriptures don't belong to a table of gray-bearded scholars debating whether or not he might be the central redemptive subject matter and the consummative telos of the scriptures. The scriptures belong to Jesus Christ because they have been breathed out by his spirit through his prophets and his apostles. He says those who do not see him on its own terms are foolish and slow of heart to believe what the Old Testament teaches. 
The problem is not with the clarity of the Old Testament, but with the darkness of the human heart. Foolishness is a function of Adam's sin and our fall in sin in him and with him. Hardness of heart is the result of Adam's first transgression passed on to us as his posterity, his guilt imputed, his corruption communicated. The problem is not with the clarity of the Old Testament. The problem is with the fallen recipients of the Old Testament. And Jesus says, I am presented for signified, typified, communicated, present in those scriptures. But Jesus, and this should encourage you also for his disciples, does not leave his people rebuked. Jesus, verse 45, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus opens the minds of all his disciples so that as little children they might know and receive and believe the mysteries of the kingdom of God. You are not to believe. You are not rebuked by him. You are illumined by him. And he has granted that your mind and heart might be opened and might burn within you as you read of him, learn of him, and are taught by him. The sheep for whom Jesus died need not fear when the wolf and the thief attacks because the good shepherd guards, guides, illumines, preserves his people for himself. Van Til says of the self-attesting and self-interpreting Christ this, He has sent his Spirit to dwell in my heart so that I might believe and therefore understand all things to be what he says they are. I have by his Spirit learned to understand something of what Jesus meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have learned something of what it means to make my every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, being converted anew every day to the realization that I understand no fact aright unless I see it in proper relation to Christ as the creator, redeemer of me and my world. I seek his kingdom and its righteousness above all things else. I know by the testimony of his spirit with my spirit that my labor is not in vain in the Lord. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. All of my life, my life in my family, my life in the church, my life in society, and my life in my vocation as a minister of the gospel and a teacher of Christian apologetics is unified under the banner pro reggae. I am not a hero. But in Christ, I am not afraid of what man might do to me. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the ongoing march of victory of the Christ to whom all power in heaven and on earth is given. This is the good confession that Van Til made on the occasion of the festrift, and I hope you hear 
simplicity and purity of a heart that trusted in the self-attesting and self-interpreting Christ of Scripture. Jesus Christ has given to you who trust in him a spirit-gifted faith. He has opened your mind that you might read of him in all of his word, beginning in Moses with Genesis and ending with John in Revelation, so that you might see Jesus Christ as the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the sum and substance of the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, May he make your heart burn within you as you know him who is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the hermeneutic that lies at the heart of Van Til's doctrine of the person and work of Christ. And may the Lord bless all who herald the gospel of the self-attesting and self-interpreting Christ of Scripture.